Well, uh, before we got into the summer, we were actually doing a study uh, really introducing the Torah uh, and the, the life of Moses, uh, the life and offices of God's uh, prophet Moses. And so uh, tonight and we'll see, probably next week, I want to do just a little bit of review there uh, and look at, uh, we'll do a brief overview of Moses' life uh, just from what some of the stuff we've covered on some additional things. Uh, and then we'll look at uh, his authorship and look at some of the, the evidence of that. Uh, but that's a big topic, so that might be one we revisit down the road and uh, deal with even more thoroughly. And then probably next week we'll finish up our introduction, uh, depending on how much discussion we have, uh, and look at the, some of the structure and the themes of uh, Genesis and how it all fits into the, the Torah. And then we'll, Lord willing, just start working uh, through uh, verse by verse. So now, you know, first off, we need a justification for uh, starting uh, Genesis, uh, right? In any class, we, we need, we, you know, why Genesis? Well, some of you may not know, uh, but Eric, he decides to start studying Revelation, and he'll never admit it, but really, Eric wanted to kind of jump right to the end to find out what happens. So he won't admit, you know, you can twist his arm, he, he won't tell you that, uh, but uh, he, he wanted to go to the end of the book and find out what happens. So, you know, I thought, you know, maybe we'll give a little balance and we'll go to the beginning and, you know, see where, where everything begins and starts. And we'll actually find that where we begin uh, has a lot to say about where we end up. So, but, yeah, maybe, maybe ask, uh, what's the real reason you, you, you jump? Why, why, why do you jump right to the end? <laughs> Oh, you know uh, we're going to ask him about it. <laughs> <laughs> I better warn him. You know what Adam said about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's just look a little, uh, at Moses uh, since he's the, the, the author of the, the Torah. Uh, and we'll just give a little review of uh, what we've been covering. I know Eric was there for uh, quite a bit of that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll look at some of the evidence just for his, his authorship. And so, first, as we were looking at Moses, uh, you find him uh, introduced uh, right at the, the beginning of Exodus. And now, we, we know that he's attached to these books uh, because of uh, his work as mediator, uh, giving the, uh, the law, the covenant, receiving the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant, uh, some of the things we'll be looking at, but his name is also attached, uh, where you even see like in the New Testament, law and Moses can be used almost interchangeably. Uh, you have the, the law, the prophets, and the, the Psalms, and then you have Moses and the, the prophets. But his name is also attached to the Torah because from Exodus 2 to the end of Deuteronomy, besides God, he is... Uh, the most significant participant in the narrative, in the events, uh, in the historical narrative uh, of the exodus, uh, of the wanderings through the wilderness. And so 
he's a central figure all the way from Exodus to Deuteronomy, which is a, a massive portion of scripture. And so that's another reason that his name is uh, attached uh, to all of this material, in addition to his work as mediator and uh, authorship and such. Uh, and uh, we even looked at uh, Moses' life uh, and how it's largely arranged into three periods of 40, 40 years. Uh, he died at 120 years. And then uh, Exodus chapter 2, uh, for the first three months of his life, uh, he was uh, born uh, to his father Amram and his mother uh, Jochebed. And his mother kept him for three months uh, under the, the decree of Pharaoh to kill uh, all of the uh, infant males uh, of the Hebrew people uh, because Pharaoh even says that uh, the people are too great and mighty for us, you know, too, too many. And uh, then if war comes, uh, they'll join with our enemies and uh, go out of the land. And so there's this decree uh, to bring, uh, to really infanticide, to, to kill uh, their uh, infant males and to have them put out and exposed so that, so that they would die. And so his mother hid him for uh, three months. Uh, but then uh, when she couldn't do it any longer, uh, she made a little uh, tev, uh, which can be used for sort of a container, but it's even used for the ark with, uh, with Noah. And Moses' life is really framed around uh, themes of uh, the flood. Uh, he's kind of a, a Noah figure uh, in his own day where uh, she makes this uh, tev uh, for him, drawing on this language, uh, and puts him into the Nile as his sister watches over. Uh, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter, uh, the Egyptian princess, sees the, sees the basket and uh, takes, takes, uh, takes it up and draws him uh, out of the, uh, the water, which has to do with his name, uh, Moshe. Uh, he was drawn out of the water. Uh, as I recall, uh, scholars who deal with uh, Egyptian say that's drawn from uh, Egyptian language. Uh, you actually have Egyptian language that comes into uh, the Genesis and Exodus and the, the Torah uh, because they came out of, came out of Egypt. Uh, but then for his first 40 years, uh, although his mother nursed him uh, as, and was even paid to do so uh, by, by Pharaoh's daughter, which is a pretty, pretty good deal in, in God's providence, uh, he, he worked that out, that she still got to raise him as a very young child. Uh, he was really raised as an Egyptian prince in Pharaoh's household. Uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, right, right under his nose. Here's one of the children that was to be uh, put, put to death, uh, but God uh, preserved him, and he, he uh, had purposes that he would be a deliverer. And then with his, when he's 40 years old, uh, he goes out, uh, he sees an Egyptian uh, being uh, mistreated uh, and beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. And so he goes out, and, and Bob has spoken about that through Acts. He goes out, he struck the man dead and hid his body. Uh, and then you have the next day with the Israelites. They're supposed to be brothers. They're supposed to be of the chosen, believing, a righteous offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they themselves are, are fighting. 
uh, Egypt actually goes back to Ham. Uh, and so the, they're fighting, and Moses tries to break them up. You know, why are you mistreating your, your brother and uh, hitting, hitting the man and fighting? Uh, and he asked, who's made you a judge and a ruler over us? Which is kind of ironic, because God will make him a judge and a ruler over them. But he hasn't yet. It's not God's timing. Uh, Moses tried to do it in his own power at his own time. In fact, uh, you had the, the, the four generations or uh, 400 years that were to pass uh, that they were to be uh, sojourners in Egypt uh, according to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, that for these, these four generations uh, that uh, his offspring will be uh, in captivity as sojourners uh, in, in Egypt. And they come out in the 430th year when Moses is 80. So it was really the year 390 that Moses went out and struck down the Egyptian. It's not God's time yet. <laughs> he, he wasn't going to bring him out yet. And so he then has to go and sojourn in Midian uh, with Jethro, uh, who's actually a descendant of Abraham uh, through his concubine, Keturah. And you can read about uh, Keturah and some of Abraham's other sons in Genesis uh, 25. Uh, and there, uh, he meets his wife, uh, Zipporah. And so 40 years as a sojourner uh, through, through that time. And uh, there were times of sojourning for the patriarchs and Jacob. Uh, and so uh, here's a time of sojourning and waiting until God calls him uh, in uh, Exodus chapter uh, 3 uh, and into 4, uh, where uh, the, the angel of Yahweh, who is Yahweh uh, in, in this case, uh, reveals himself in a theophany and of flames uh, in the, uh, the, the, the bush, uh, in the, uh, the, the, the brush. Uh, even I think some of the language can be used for fairly, fairly large sort of uh, uh, tree that would uh, grow in the desert. Not, not massive, but uh, here you have this flame of fire that's not even burning up the, uh, the tree. And so there, uh, Moses, uh, at 80 years now, uh, is commissioned by God. Uh, so his first 40 years, uh, he's basically an Egyptian prince. Uh, next 40, from the age of 40 to 80, uh, he's a sojourner in uh, Midian, um, shepherd and such. And then at 80, God uh, appoints Moses as his prophet, uh, and uh, he even when he gives him uh, Aaron, uh, he gives him all these provisions. Uh, he gives him, says, I will be with you. Uh, he gives him his name uh, to give uh, to the people, to, to the Israelites. He gives him uh, three signs uh, to, uh, to perform along with the, uh, the, the staff, uh, the, the sign of, of uh, putting his hand like into his garment and bringing up it out and it's uh, leprous and uh, I guess the first was casting the staff down, it becomes a serpent, and uh, casting the water on the earth, and it becomes his, his blood. Uh, and he even uh, says, after Moses uh, objects and complains, oh God, you know, isn't there someone else you can send? Not only does he say he'll be with Moses' mouth, but I'll give you Aaron, your brother, he can speak well, and uh, he, he will... Uh, 
uh, welcome you and be glad to see you when you, when you point some. Yeah. It always amazes me that God uh, has Moses basically enter the uh, his life's work, if yeah. you will. Yeah. When he's eighty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should maybe so you see maybe be retiring. Fall, uh, you know. <laughs> But that, that's what I mean. The, the, yeah, the fall, yeah. But I mean, they they they, they just live so long. I I I I am very curious mm-hmm. when we get to glory. Like, what was Mo, was Moses like me now when he was eighty? <laughs> Hopefully not. He was probably in better shape. Okay. Well, you, you know what I mean. Was was his eighty like a thirty? He may have been uh, more more fit. I, he even gets to the end of his age and says that, you know, his eye hasn't dimmed and right, such. And, right. and so God took his life, you know. It, yeah. it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't of ill health or things like that. But when he's 80 and the Amalekites come, when uh, you have the exodus, uh, the Egyptians are, uh, the chariots, soldiers are uh, drowned in the sea. Uh, and the Amalekites come before they get to Sinai. And... Uh, Joshua goes out uh, to uh, fight the Amalekites, and Moses holds the the staff up. He goes up on on the mountain, holds the the staff up, which is a symbol of God's authority they given to his to his prophet. Well, before too long, Moses' arms are getting tired, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Aaron and uh, his friend uh, Hur have to come up and have him sit on a stone and. They stand on the side and hold the staff up. So, so he, he, he wasn't, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd have a hard time <laughs> with my hands up. But, but it wasn't, you know, out of, out of his strength. But yeah, so at 80, he appoints Moses as a prophet. And even gives him Aaron. And he says, you shall be as Elohim, as God, to Aaron. And so as Moses is God is the one true living creator God who appoints Moses as his authoritative spokesman and prophet. He gives him Aaron and says, you'll be in my place basically for Aaron. I'll speak to you. You'll speak to him. He'll speak to the people. Uh, And it's even interesting where he says, you shall be God to Pharaoh. Now, Joseph uh, in Egypt, uh, he was second to Pharaoh. He was his viceroy. uh, And he... He was given his ring and uh, the, uh, the emblem, a, a chain to wear, and he uh, dressed in linen and uh, rode in his chariot. And he was given the same authority of Pharaoh as his viceroy, uh, as one who ruled on his uh, behalf. And Pharaoh said, you'll only be second to me as far as the throne goes. So he, he retains the throne, but otherwise, Joseph ruled uh, in place of and on the behest of uh, the Pharaoh of his day. But when it comes to Moses, a uh, God sa- says, you shall be God to Pharaoh. And so as Moses is under God as the one true living uh, creator God, uh, Pharaoh is now uh, of his day is now below Moses. Uh, and Moses speaks on his behalf and performs these signs uh, at the behest of the God in heaven. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh's on the earth. And so he's, 
uh, he's exalted in that sense, even above uh, where Joseph was uh, in, uh, in his day. Uh, and even uh, as uh, we read, uh, Eric was there, uh, you can read as you get to the, the end, Exodus 10, maybe leading up to 12, that Pharaoh and the people, uh, Moses says that you'll bow down before me. And all the people come and bow before, uh, before Moses and before the Israelites, before the people, as God humbles them uh, and delivers his people out and gives, them, uh, gives the people a, fa a favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And they basically, they plunder the Egyptians and, uh, and go out. And so as God's prophet, as his authoritative uh, spokesman, uh, he represents uh, uh, Yahweh uh, to, to Pharaoh uh, and performs uh, the signs and speaks on his behalf. And so we're looking even at all these corporate offices where if you look at, it actually begins kind of in maybe Deuteronomy 16, uh, but then especially 17, 18. You have these corporate offices where you have uh, the judge, uh, you have the king, you have the priest, and you have the prophet. Uh, and these are the corporate officers uh, in Israel. Sometimes they're called the shepherds uh, of Israel. They were to shepherd, uh, they were to uh, lead. Uh, and we're really going through and seeing how all of these offices in one sense or another, Moses in his day fulfilled. And so we spoke about him as prophet, as we did now. Uh, and we even saw that when it comes to uh, Aaron uh, uh, mediating the covenant on uh, the blood of the covenant and establishing the, the tabernacle, uh, Moses puts all, all of the implements in the tabernacle. Uh, Aaron, who becomes the high priest and, and his sons after him are priests, uh, Nadav and Abihu, and then uh, Eliezer and Ithamar, that Moses actually had to uh, make atonement for Aaron. And so he, he was above even, even Aaron. And so uh, he had to make uh, atonement. He anointed Aaron. Uh, they had to go through the cleansing rituals and such. And so Moses really functioned uh, as uh, as. Uh, a priest, even even above Aaron, he he was the mediator uh, of the covenant. And one moment, yeah. I'll get right to you. Um, but and so uh, he he functioned as prophet. He functioned as priest. Uh, we read in Exodus chapter eighteen, right before they get to Sinai, uh, you see that uh, Moses and Jethro gives good and godly advice. This Midianite. Uh, the people rebel and sin against God and complain. The Amalekites rebel and God calls a curse upon them. But Jethro, the Midianite, blesses Yahweh. He praises Yahweh for all the good he's done uh, to this people Israel. And he gives him good and godly advice uh, when Moses is judging the people all by himself all day long. Just lines of all these people, over 600,000 men, not counting women and children. And... Uh, Jethro says, the thing you're doing is not good. You need to appoint godly and wise men who are, who are taught by God uh, so that uh, they can teach the people. And if there's any case that's too difficult for them, they'll come to you uh, and that he would represent God. He'd, he'd uh, stand at God's behest to judge uh, the people. And so he was a judge 
uh, over uh, the, the people. And you even see some of those uh, themes with uh, the 70 elders in Numbers. And we had a, a sermon on that where you see that there were many prophets in Moses' day, but he was the prophet uh, par excellence uh, in, his, uh, in his own day. Uh, and that uh, he was uh, even a judge. And you had these uh, elders, and you even have some of this uh, sort of ruler or kingship language, although you're not at the, uh, the kingship that's with Judah in the Davidic line that's to come, uh, but some of these things with uh, Pharaoh and such, uh, you have some of this language. And maybe in Deuteronomy 33, but uh, Lord willing, we'll get there some other time. There are some uh, difficulties, just textual and such, uh, with uh, some of those verses. Uh, Eric, yeah. What's the original prophecy when God, you know, like talks about them being in uh, captivity in the Egyptians for, how did that one go again? Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, he uses interchangeably. He says uh, four generations uh, and 400 years. And 400 years. Yep. And, and he said 400 years they'll be in captivity. And then when, when was the 400 years? You, I mean, you can kind of time it out. You know. What yeah, they, they actually come out in the year 430 uh, with uh, the start of their year. But I think as you read it, where it uses 400 uh, and four generations uh, interchangeably, that it's speaking about this uh, general timeline. Uh, and even as you read it, like with the, uh, with the author and such, I think the idea is this time will pass. Because as you read it, you, you have two things. Uh, when, when you interpret uh, scripture or just even like in communication and such, uh, an author, uh, they assume a context that they take for granted uh, that people will be aware of. And then they provide enough information uh, that their audience will be able to connect that with the context and understand their intent. And so you have things like you get to the Sabbath uh, in the creation account, uh, and it says, uh, and God uh, uh, completed his work uh, on the seventh day. And now there are some scribes <laughs> there's, uh, where you can read. It goes back to a Hebrew text, but that's in the, the, the Old Greek. Sometimes people call it Septuagint, but Old Greek translation of the Torah. And you have sixth day. Oh, there's a problem here. God, if God completed his work on the seventh day, doesn't that imply that God worked on the seventh day? <laughs> we have a problem here. No, you don't. Because from the context, it's pretty obvious that uh, six days you have creation, seventh day, it's done. <laughs> and that's, that's the point. So if you're, reading, if you're reading the context, you know, if you're not too dense and too slow, <laughs> you say, no, he, the, point, the author's point isn't that he did some work on the seventh day. And so you have these sort of things all the time where uh, Abraham brought Isaac to, uh, to, uh, up to uh, Moriah. And so so they, they went up to Moriah. And while they were on their way, oh, I guess we didn't arrive at Moriah you know, quite, quite yet. And so it kind of, you update your interpretation as you read. The author doesn't have to tell you. We do that naturally as, uh, as we... Uh, as we read along. And so 
you know, some, some look at that, well, fourth generation, doesn't that mean like the 300s? Well, if you read it and you're reading the author, uh, these four generations pass and God brings the people out. Uh, and there, there might even be something with, and we, we have things like that too, where, okay, I say, you know, I, I commute, I live 30 miles uh, from here. Well, you know, if, if it's plus, plus or minus, you know, five-ish miles, you're not going to say, uh, Adam, you're wrong, you're a liar, you know. I wasn't being that precise. It, unless you go to the, uh, to the, the billionth nanometer, you know, it, it's wrong. It, well, I wasn't intending, uh, I wasn't intending to be uh, that precise. Uh, and so the, the four generations pass and he brings them out. But there could even be something with, uh, you, you have the 390th year and uh, Moses, <laughs> you know, he, he's ready to, uh, uh, to, to bring the, the, the people out and give deliverance by himself. No, Moses has to wait 40 years now <laughs> after that sojourning. And so uh, the, the context helps that these periods of time pass and also the parallelism, four generations, 400. It means, you know, uh, basically the, the same thing. So, I, I take it they get it from a genealogy and he had a son at this age and he had a son so they can track it pretty accurately. Hmm? There's, no, there's no question about the 400 landing on the right. You, yeah, you, you can get that uh, even... Like, you, you can come up with a sort of a relative uh, chronology, or it's kind of even absolute as far as, as, far as the, uh, the Old Testament uh, biblical history unfolds. Uh, and that much uh, is, uh, is very clear as far as, like, when they go in the land and such. They give us enough information for that. But then, when... You, you synchronize the chronology with like Egyptian history and other peoples and such, uh, that can add like more complications as far as how exactly things sync up right with the Egyptian uh, chronology so and such. But trace it through biblical writing. But it, it doesn't change. Died at this age and he had a son and he died at this age. You can't just trace it year for Well, you, you, can, you, can trace, you can trace that as far as Israel's history. And so, and so you have like with uh, Solomon, for instance, uh, when the temple was uh, established. I'm trying to remember, was that, was it four or seven years into uh, his, his reign? Uh, he gives a precise amount of time, you know, uh, 400-some years that, that came before and you can sync that up and follow it with like the genealogies, uh, and those are very clear. So Israel's chronology, but then if you want to match it up with our calendar, uh, then you have to do uh, more work. Well, I mean, God gave the prophecy. Was it to Abraham that he gave it? Who, who was it that he said? Yeah. So he told it to Abraham. So mm -hmm. can we sync up year for year from Abraham to Moses in yep. Bible chronology? Yeah, yep. Without, without any question about you know outside sources like Egyptian history and no from from uh nope from Abraham uh I, Isaac Jacob and such uh the, the chronology is okay. uh very clear yep yeah we'll, we'll look at some of that when we get into like uh Genesis
And so uh, Moses, uh, prophet, uh, judge, uh, priest, and, and even, in a sense, king in his own day. He, he, was, he was a ruler as far as uh, God is really the ultimate king. And you see this theme all throughout uh, scripture, but uh, Moses led and shepherded the people uh, in, in his day. Uh, and even, even above Pharaoh, uh, Joseph second to Pharaoh, but uh, Moses even above Pharaoh. And so let's look at, well, let's go briefly to Numbers uh, chapter 12. Now, we went through this with a class and a sermon, so I just want to touch on something and look at a couple more texts. Just, you know, look at the significance of Moses uh, as mediator, as uh, author uh, of uh, the, the Torah and the, the giver of the, the law. And in the sermon, we, we really saw here that this challenge of authority, and this theme throughout, you see it throughout the, well, throughout the, the Torah, but the, the book of Numbers uh, becomes very heightened as it's leading up to their wilderness wanderings. And here even we saw God uh, speaking about uh, his servant Moses uh, to Miriam and Aaron, uh, where they spoke against him for marrying this Cushite woman. And uh, hasn't God also uh, uh, spoken through us? He, he hasn't only spoken through, through Moses, has he? And verse 6, God, this really kind of encapsulates uh, his prophet Moses in God's own words. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, uh, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so, yeah, there were many prophets in Israel. You, you even see with the appointment of the 70, and for a time they prophesied uh, in the camp when the Spirit came upon them. Uh, and they, they speak of God's uh, deliverance, his character, uh, his, his work. Uh, they make proclamation uh, at the, the tent of meeting. Uh, and then you have Eldad and, and Medad, who may have been from the 70. Uh, but uh, they prophesy in the camp uh, where the people are grumbling and complaining. <laughs> and uh, Joshua tries to uh, stop, uh, stop them. Um, My Lord Moses, stop them. But the people, they need to hear the word of God. And so uh, Moses, uh, he's humble and he, he doesn't think that he's diminished. He's not worried about, about these things. And so God contrasts sort of the general run-of-the-mill prophet with his servant Moses. Uh, and you see similar things throughout uh, with Joshua, with Samuel, and very much so with Elijah and Elisha in their own day. Uh, you see these other prophets in their own day, 
but uh, Elijah and Elisha, uh, they're the prophet par excellence in their, their own day. And that's even why Jesus' ministry, you've traced this out all throughout scripture, right at the start of his ministry, he co connects his ministry uh, to the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, <laughs> and even his work. And you see that with John the Baptist, but he even does that for, for his own ministry. Uh, and that's why Elijah also appears on the mountain with, uh, with Moses as well. Uh, and uh, healing and raising dead widow's sons. And a great prophet has risen among us, <laughs> you know, the people say. That, that was right next to where Elisha did it. And, uh, and Elijah did it, well, just over on the west coast over there, you know, in, in uh, sort of the Phoenician uh, region uh, of the well, Canaanites. Uh, and so you see Moses' servant, I also wanted to touch on a couple things here. And so Miriam, rebelling, she becomes leprous for this. God could have strike, struck her dead right there for her rebellion, ultimately against God. Uh, this was very serious, but he had mercy upon, uh, upon her. And so it says something about Moses' words and the need to hear them. I was even thinking about, if you look at verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. You know, you know, it might make you ask, and many have, well, you know, if Moses authored this exact line, how could he say he's the most humble man in all the earth? That doesn't sound very, very humble. And now, one thing that we'll be seeing, and that some have proposed, and we, we spoke about it briefly, was we'll actually see, uh, for instance, as we read in uh, Exodus like 18, uh, we'll see that Moses oversaw and even appointed uh, at God's behest for Ithamar to write things down. And so he actually had scribes. There are things he entrusted uh, to Ithamar. Uh, sometimes he had uh, the, the elders uh, and Ithamar and the priests and things he entrusted to Joshua that he oversaw uh, in, in their writing. And so uh, there were certain things that uh, we'll see that Moses, uh, giver of the law, author, but he also worked with uh, scribes and had people like Ithamar and such uh, and even commanded and instructed them. And so we'll see some of that probably more, more next week uh, we'll, we'll have to look at uh, just for time. However, if you, if you also read this, I was looking through it again recently and just thinking about it, where it says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people were on the face of this earth. This language, there's some issues about maybe what, which exact verb, but this language is regularly used for uh, those who are of lowly status, uh, even those who are poor and lonely and afflicted. Uh, and so actually, if you read this, it's not necessarily a boast uh, that's, uh, that's uh, being made, but it can actually be sort of self-deprecating. And if you read uh, Moses' uh, language, and this is what can, can uh, you know, kind of raise the question, whenever Moses is speaking, whether it's at the, the burning bush where, where God first appeared to, uh, to him at the... Uh, right before the Exodus at age 80. Uh, you know, oh God, I, I, I'm, I'm 
weighty in tongue and speech. You know, he's encumbered. He doesn't speak well. He's uncircumcised, you know, uh, of his lips and, and uh, such. And, uh, and so encumbered speech, why send me to speak to the people? And uh, God even says of Aaron, you know, Aaron, your brother, I, I know he can speak well. <laughs> I'll be with your mouth. You know, it's not, about, it's not about your skill and ability that I'm choosing you, but I'll be with you. And so it, it's about who will be with him uh, that will empower Moses to do this. And so as you read Moses and we're Jethro, what you're doing is not good. You know, sitting here judging these people, you're sitting all day, they're standing all day. Uh, what a mess. This, this is, the people have all sorts of problems and uh, this isn't going to make it any, any better. And Moses, he, he listened to his father-in-law. <laughs> It says, and so you see this uh, this humility, and he's often sort of self-deprecating. He, he doesn't think very highly of himself, and so it's actually kind of funny that this language of uh, again and again for those who are of lowly status and uh, afflicted and poor and uh, sort of that sort of humility or, or meekness. It's it's not necessarily a boast, but it, it's kind of kind of uh, self. It can even be sort of self self-deprecating and and such. Uh, as well. And so, you know, it, it, even things like that uh, can kind of reflect what you see of Moses on first person uh, speech as, as he speaks about himself and doesn't see himself as, you know, anything so great. Are you jealous for my, for my sake? You know, <laughs> with the all gods people were, were prophets. You know, he, he's, not, he's not threatened by them prophesying in the this is great what are you talking about this is you know this is what the people need to hear the word of god and so and i also want to just point out i forgot in the sermon how's it wrote what's it mean uh well uh first off uh it, it's basically right in line with the uh the leprosy that strikes uh miriam and so of it, and behold, Metzorot. She is leprous. Hatzorot, Metzorot. And so uh, it goes along with that. And then uh, Aaron says, Let her not be as you know, one who uh, is dead, who comes uh, uh, from his mother's womb, uh, and half his flesh is eaten. Hatsi Vesero. Hatsi Vesero. Half its flesh. Hatsi, uh, half and veseral, fle its flesh. Hatserot. Uh, kind of rhymes with that too. And uh, there's another word I, I want to look at again, but that's kind of in line uh, that can be used for sometimes villages, but kind of an outer courtyard uh, and such, and regions outside of like a populated city. And she's put outside the camp. And so uh, I could draw on that uh, as well. And so kind of a, a reminder, Hatzorot is a reminder uh, like at uh, Tabera, a uh, place of well, burning uh, where the, the people were uh, burned uh, when they rebelled and Kivrot Hatava, graves of the craving, uh, reminders of their rebellion and their sin uh, before, before God. Uh, but even having mercy, bringing her back, uh, back into the, the camp. And now... Let's go to Numbers, let's see, I believe it's 16. 
And here we have another uh, rebellion. In fact, go right before this. Of Numbers 15, verse 32. Before that, it speaks about someone sinning and unintentional sins, intentional sins. And then following that, you have someone who breaks the Sabbath. A lot of times before, sometimes before rebellion, it's like when the instructions are given, Moses, 40 days, 40 nights, uh, receiving instructions for the tabernacle uh, leading up to uh, Exodus. That's right around going into 32. Uh, you come to the Sabbath, and then you have the golden calf and the, the rebellion. So instructions for the Sabbath. And here you have a Sabbath breaker, uh, verse 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And Yahweh said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him uh, to death with stones as Yahweh commanded Moses. And now immediately following uh, this, uh, and even just thinking about the Sabbath uh, briefly, the Sabbath as you read like through uh, Leviticus, I was reading recently, we have there to keep the Sabbath. Uh, and it talks about all these rests, uh, their, their feasts, uh, the Passover, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the uh, First Fruits, uh, Pentecost, uh, Tabernacles, Day of, well, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles. It goes through their whole year. Uh, even the s seven years, the land was to have rest. And 49 years, uh, and on the 50th, they had a jubilee, and the people were released. Those who were uh, uh, servants and indentured servants, they, they were released. And so the people have rest. The land has rest. He's the God who sanctifies them and delivers them and gives them rest from under Pharaoh and uh, their, their oppression and burdens. And if you go through that, it says that anyone who willfully rejects this, they're to be put to death. You, you shall, on the Day of Atonement, you shall not do any work uh, on, on the Day of Atonement. It's a holy assembly. It's a holy day. And this idea, you shall not work. It's like you even see it in Isaiah uh, with, with the, the Assyrian threat. I told them, this is rest. This is repose. But they would not listen to wait for Yahweh. Don't go to Egypt. Don't check out the water supply. Don't get horses and chariots. Wait on your God. He will deliver you from the Assyrians. This is rest. This is repose. Wait for God. He will deliver you. And here it's saying, you shall not work. You shall not do anything. Just rest. God will give atonement. He will give you rest. He will give you deliverance. Uh, he, he will deliver the land. He will deliver the people uh, under their servitude and bondage. Do not do any work. Just rest. That's it. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a reminder of this. Uh, and although uh, God made provision uh, for 
uh, sacrifices for forgiveness and atonement, they couldn't perfect them uh, under it. He did circumcise hearts under the old covenant, but he didn't promise it to all the people. And so it's the new covenant where now you have a once for all perfect sacrifice and then the spirit poured out on all God's people. So, so you have this legal forensic righteousness that's only in Christ, finished work. You know, it's, it's done. I mean, his whole work is, is done uh, through and through. He, he accomplished uh, it all. But then you have this sort of practical, ethical outworking by the spirit. And he provides that too. And so you have kind of a practical sort of righteousness that comes from the spirit uh, that's the outflowing of the salvation and this forensic legal justification declared righteous, innocent, uh, they, they he's done. Brian? That's what I was going to say, yeah. but not quite like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I always... Uh, How would you say it? Yeah. I, well, I, I, the contrast between when uh, Christ and then with the law. Yeah. And, and you look all through the Old Testament, not just on uh, like Korah and uh, uh, the, the, all the other times when, when the law was broken, they're stoning them and they, mm -hmm. they're leper. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you, you see that time and time again. Thank God for Jesus Christ because th that is, these people, they, they just, aside from the human element of not putting their faith mm -hmm. in God's telling them to do it, but most people don't, don't believe that even today. As, as believers, we, we don't always put all of our faith Absolutely. in God. And, uh, but, but back in that Old Testament, mm -hmm. following that law, that's brutal. Mm -hmm. Brutal. Mm -hmm. And there, there's even aspect, like, there are different aspects to the law. Yeah. Where you have like the covenantal legal curses uh, and such. Uh, that they're reflected in, in the law, in, in judgment right. uh, that, that comes, and they, they need their sins forgiven, and they could believe that God would forgive their sins, you know, uh, on, on the Day of Atonement. God will forgive our sins. He tells us so uh, that, you know, and make atonement, and I'll forgive them. Even though could, it couldn't finally perfect them, they have to do it the next year and the you next year, and, you know, next, next day and such. <laughs> but this, this, uh, this picture, and they, they could believe uh, believe God and you know the day came where he brings about the the fullness uh, of this and he did circumcise hearts there, there is graciousness even under the mosaic uh, mosaic covenant where you see these provisions you know provision for uh, sin although it couldn't ultimately perfect and God did make provision for circumcised hearts he didn't promise it to everyone though uh, and and so you, you see these things, but then you also see this uh, wisdom language that there's, there's wisdom uh, in God's law, but we need, we need his spirit to write it on our hearts. We need him to circumcise our, our hearts. You know, it's not enough to have it on the tablets of stone uh, and, and written down. We need it in our hearts. And so the new covenant that gives it to, to, to all people. And in some ways, you see that the, in like the, the New Testament, in, in Christ's work, like as judge, uh, in some ways, you see, the, you see the grace is magnified like infinitely, but you also see the judgment and wrath is magnified uh, infinitely. I mean, you, you, see, you see this 
sometimes implicitly, you see it more in Daniel and the end of Isaiah. But God's eternal wrath uh, that, that he, will, he will pour out. And so, you know, we need to flee to Christ. You know, we're, we're utterly dependent upon him and upon his spirit. And, uh, you know, we need to be clothed in his righteousness. But and now we'll see more priestly uh, themes. Uh, look at this. Instruction, just following this breaking of the Sabbath. Uh, and no, you even see in the church, you know, if, if someone is in willful, um, consistent uh, rebellion uh, and uh, they, they won't turn from it and, you know, people, people go to them and such and they, they will not listen, no, uh, you know, they're going to just continue uh, in, in their sin and rebellion. You take two or three witnesses and such and then uh, bring it to the church. Eventually they're to be put out. You know, with the hope, it's for the protection of the church, for Christ's glory uh, and, and witness uh, and such. But also, now Satan, God will deal with them providentially through Satan, through the destruction of their flesh, that perhaps God will gr grant them a repent godly sorrow leading to repentance. And, you know, they'll be, be brought back in again. Yeah. But, you know, there, there's, there's that sort of where it can ultimately come to sending, you know, someone, someone out. Uh, but we don't stone people on, uh, in this age. You know, we, we don't put them uh, to death. That will come, you know, ultimately in the, the judgment, God's providence in, in the judgment. But look uh, here, verse 37. 1637? Uh, yeah, or 1537, 1537. So just following this, this Sabbath incident, Yahweh said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your, to your God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt uh, to be your God. I am Yahweh, your God. And so now he gives them a reminder. The priests wore tassels and even sort of a little pomegranate, you know, bells and such. But they had tassels around their robes. Now the people, they're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now they have tassels on their garments and, and robes and such as a reminder that they are a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation to represent God and to, to remember, you know, they live in the presence of, of God uh, at all times. I remember like R.C. Sproul, you know, maybe you've heard him, uh, Coram Deo, uh, be, be, uh, before God. All of life is lived uh, before and in the, the presence uh, of, of God. And so here they make uh, the, the tassels as a reminder uh, that the they're to represent God. It's kind of like the pouring out of the Spirit on the elders uh, to, to help Moses with the, the people. They're rebelling, they're, they're complaining, who will help bear the burden with them. And so now in re uh, response, he gives these tassels. But what do Miriam and Aaron do when they see these others prophesying? Well, we've prophesied, you know, has God only spoken through Moses? Well, Korah and his ilk are going to see this. 
Well, the people are holy too. You know, we can offer incense, not just Aaron and his sons. Oh, so, you know, whoa, sons of Levi, you know. <laughs> you know, it's not enough that God has, has you minister in the tabernacle. You're going to take the priesthood as well. And so as Moses, yeah, there are many prophets uh, in Israel, but Moses was the prophet par excellence. There are many priests in <laughs> Israel. You know, they're a kingdom of priests in, in, a, in a sense, you know, ministering before the nations and serving God, uh, even offering priests. Offerings of uh, thanksgiving and uh, to, to their God. But here, uh, Korah is going to see this and is going to rebel. We're all priests before God. Priesthood of every believer, you know. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, you know, in, in the New Testament, here's part of, you know, you have the... And, okay, yeah, you can look at certain laws... Okay, maybe this one's a little more moral. Some are a little more ceremonial. You know, that's kind of civil. But when you look at, like, the Ten Commandments, you look at the Book of the Covenant, there aren't these, these distinct, disparate collections of, you know, that uh, Moses didn't just divide it up that way. Okay, here's the moral collection of laws. You know, here, here are the, the civil legal bits and such. But, no, is the law... Is the law, you know, you had the book of the covenant and such. And so it's kind of funny because a lot of kind of, kind of maybe from more, uh, come from a more reformed perspective. Well, you know, Christ, he, uh, he kept, he kept uh, ceremonial uh, in his priestly work. Uh, Israel is no longer a nation, so the civil has been done away with. We're just left with the moral. Well, the funny thing is, when you read things, and Paul like draws on, on things like this, uh, where he says, um, he gives uh, examples like in Corinthians, where uh, you have like Peter and some of the other apostles who make their living off the gospel. You know, they receive something from the churches. Is it only I and Barnabas, you know, who, <laughs> who, who can't receive something? Uh, and he, he gives examples, you know. Well, you know, the, does a farmer farm and not receive some of the crop and, and such? Well, do I say this on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same? Uh, you know, with the, the priests, they, they were to receive from the, the offerings. Well, that sounds kind of ceremonial, Paul. <laughs> what are you doing, you know, using that in your argument? Well, the Lord, he's been sending out the 70. You know, it's consistent with what the Lord says, so he's applying it. <laughs> he sent them out, you know, two by two. Uh, to, you know, uh, to receive uh, and stay where someone greets you. If you find a son of peace, stay there and receive what's set before you, you know. Um, and so you read this. I don't think for a moment, you know, when I read this, and, and Christians don't, that, okay, I'm legally under uh, the law as covenant, as law code, as Brian S. Rosner would say. I better put tassels, you know, on my garments. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that for, for a moment. Uh, you know, uh, most, most do not, you know, unless maybe follow, falling into uh, like a real, real legalism and such. But I do think about, hey, under the new covenant, we're a kingdom of priests. We're a holy nation. You know, the priesthood of every, every believer. You know, we offer uh, offerings of... Uh, 
We offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice to our God and sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, you know, before our God. I think about this. Wow, reminder that, you know, it's not that nothing has changed, but a, a reminder, this was written for our instruction, you know, as Paul says. And so as it's consistent with God's uh, character, his, his work in creation in, in the new covenant, I just applied the, you know, the ceremonial law. Yeah, <laughs> I just learned it. But not as law covenant, you know, uh, as uh, Rosmer said, as scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching reproof, you know, correction, training. So it reminds us things that, that you know, even in, like in the new covenant and such that, that are consistent. But I'm not going to put tassels on them <laughs> or think that I have to. So, you know, as scripture. Uh, but, we're, you know, we're not under it as law covenant. And so who's the antinomian, you know? I don't want to do away with, uh, you know, the so-called like ceremonial bits as far as uh, when it comes to, it's scripture, you know, it, it, it reminds us, you know, we learn uh, about uh, about these things. Here, yeah. Oh, you know, I was just thinking, uh, and I, I know if God wanted me to remember it, I could find the verse, but it does talk about somewhere about how, you know, if one man thinks one day is greater than the other, another day mm-hmm. thinks we all are alike and he should keep to himself. And then there's other, and that might be the same one that talks about you should keep your convictions to yourself. But there, there, I mean, there's people that obviously are still under the old law. I mean, to this day, I've gone over to Plum in St. Louis Park and used a bunch of, you know, garments with tassels on, which are, you know, the Jewish families. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, of course, as soon as we trust in anything besides Jesus, we're not going to heaven mm-hmm, because there's mm-hmm. only one way to heaven. Mm-hmm. But it does occur in scripture where they tell them, well, it's good to withstand from strangled, you know, animals. And there's a point where, I think, you know, if it's a Christian that's, I know a couple of Christians that they're convinced that we still have to keep the Sabbath, even though I know that Christ fulfilled the Sabbath and he's the example that now all our God's work is done, we don't rest. I mean, now we can rest because God's Mm -hmm. work is done. It's the Sabbath fulfilled. But they still keep the Sabbath and they think it's a sin not to keep the Sabbath, although they're trusting in Jesus to get to heaven, not the Sabbath. So it just, it you know, it kind of reminds me, I could quarrel with them all day, but it does mm-hmm. say to not just to get together and to argue with someone weaker than yourself. Remember that verse where it would, says... Would, they, would they say that... Would they exclude people from fellowship but, who, who, you know, like in their churches who do not keep the Sabbath, or would they tell them uh, that they're sinning or that, that they, they must keep... No. Uh, the, the the commandments. It's because like when you, you start to get into things like that, if someone thinks that they're uh, under uh, the law, is, is law covenant and, and such, um, and that, well, you can even get in trouble, you know, if you think that to be like well-pleasing or received by God, but especially when they start to uh, exclude uh, others uh, from fellowship, uh, if they say you're sinning, if they say you, you have to have to keep this. Um, and so you'd have to look more at, at the case and, you know, speak with someone, see how they actually operate uh, in their uh, in their congregations and such yep. that would uh, reveal some of that where Paul left uh, room for those who were uh, like weaker in their faith and maybe hadn't come by scripture to fully grasp uh, all of these things. And so, 
like even with Timothy, okay, they were going to go out like evangelizing and such, and you know, uh, Timothy joined them on his uh, missionary, uh, you know, journeys, and he had Timothy circumcised. Now, not because uh, he was legally bound to do so, not because he was under the law as a covenant, uh, as law code, but uh, he had a Jewish uh, mother and a Gentile father, and it was his freedom uh, to, uh, to do that, and it maybe made it a little easier uh, to uh, go into the synagogues uh, and, and such. And so he had that, uh, that freedom, uh, but he wasn't binding uh, Timothy like under, uh, under the law and such. And so you hope over time, if you're dealing with someone, as I've heard said before, uh, the weaker brother is not the legalistic brother. The weaker brother is not the tyrannical brother. Uh, if, like, it, it, if it would violate, you know, I, I don't think I can go to this movie, you know, I think that's just going to violate my conscience or, or something. And, and maybe it's kind of something, I'm not talking about, like, just, like, gore fast or, you know, something uh, that becomes really clear. Paul says, okay, uh, you know, he talks about, like, the deeds of darkness and, you know, uh, to expose them and such. But uh, when, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, I, I don't even know if I can almost go to really any movie or something, and, but I'm not, I'm not putting down someone else. You know, someone might not want to say, no, Adam, come along, you know, why, why don't you go? No, uh, you, you, you let them be because it's going to offend their conscience, and, you know, I'm not going to try and coerce them to, uh, to, to do that, but hopefully as someone becomes more mature, understands scripture, understands the moral will, they'll be able to better, uh, b better understand um, God's will and such uh, and, and kind of the principles for like Christian liberty. Their freedom. That they'll, their freedom, yeah, right. that they'll, they'll begin to understand that. So yeah, that's, that's a good issue to bring up. But our time is almost up, so. What time do we go till? Uh, Christy said 15 after. Oh, 15 after? Yep. Oh. Uh, but said we, we can't. Interesting yeah. how when you, uh -huh. at the very beginning, you were talking about Eric going right to the end, and then we're going to go into Genesis, but that unbelief with the Jews mm -hmm. just runs all the way through the Bible, all the way up mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. to the time of the uh, witnesses, mm -hmm. and then when finally uh, praise Jesus Christ. Yeah, by, by and large, as a people. You know, he's always had his, had his remnant. And then even, you know, one day in the millennial kingdom where he will, it's like, d don't miss. It can be easy. Okay, follow that king, you know. Follow, follow, follow <laughs> Judah, David. But it's like, well, what about Zadok? He's going to establish Zadok. He's going to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and the nations will walk in their light. And in the millennial kingdom, uh, I believe from like Zechariah and such and throughout scripture that more people will come to faith in the millennial kingdom. You know, Israel, he's going to establish and make faithful. No. But even like in the nations, uh, as the, the good news is proclaimed and, and Yahweh is king. Well, he's king. 
Yeah, in, in, over, over all the earth, more will come to faith uh, in, in that time and then into the, the eternal, eternal state. And so... It'll be millennial kingdom babies. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's what I, I look uh, forward to. And so that, you know, that's why we uh, get together to be reminded of these things uh, instead of Amen. just focusing on what's going on, you know, out there. So oh let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word and uh, thank you for, uh, for your son and for your prophet Moses and uh, all that you've revealed for our instruction, our edification, to build us up and pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that uh, your word would be written uh, not, not, just, not just in the, the text of scripture but uh, in our hearts uh, by, by your Holy Spirit. And so uh, we give you all of the thanks and glory and praise uh, and we pray, Lord Jesus, uh, that you'd come quickly and bring and uh, establish uh, your kingdom forever and ever. And we look uh, forward to that day. Amen. Amen.